to defame someone. What does it actually mean? If democracy taught us the value of speech and expressions, where do we draw the line for expressions that are empowering and worthy of protecting, and those that are offensive and disruptive or simply improper? Amidst our own confusion, many rules and regulations have grappled with where to draw that line, and not without their controversies. The Indonesian government revised the electronic information law in the country. Now authorities have the rights to sentence those suspected of spreading hate and false information online. The new articles introduced under the ITE law proves that the government is the only one that can determine posts they find negative or controversial. Next on the government's agenda, beefing up laws to govern morality as defined by the state. Another article revives a law that makes it illegal to insult the president or vice president. The Electronic Information and Transaction Law, or the ITE law, the existing criminal code, and recently, the new criminal code bill, all contain rules limiting expressions and speech. Fair enough, uncontrolled speech and expression can create great trouble. This discourse is what we have been seeing on the streets right now as critics and demonstrators protest the controversial criminal code bill. We wonder how far this bill will threaten the vision of democracy and identity of the society. This is Indonesia in depth. My name is Tanita. I'm Sean Corrigan. With us today is Professor Dr. Hakristuti Hakris Nowo. She is a professor at the University of Indonesia and also an advisor to the Ministry of Law and Human Rights. Professor Tuti has been involved in the drafting of the new criminal code bill, which was deliberated in parliament recently and considered quite controversial. Uh, may I ask you, Professor Tuti, what is your role in the drafting of this bill? Well, um, I am involved in the uh, drafting since uh, I think uh, from um, 2000, 2014, 2015. So the, for the past four to five years, uh, I've been involved in the, uh, in the drafting team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, I'm not the chair because the, the chair usually is the first echelon of the ministry. I see. And I'm not. I see. The Dutch transplanted their criminal law for the East Indies people. A glimpse of the values and culture of the 19th century Dutch. After crossing the equator, we continue on to Batavia, the chief seaport of Java, the most important island of the Dutch East Indies. Over 300 years ago, a colony of Dutch immigrants settled in Batavia and gradu gradually extended their authority until for a time, they practically monopolized the foreign trade of the East Indies. And despite Indonesia gaining independence, Indonesia has never adopted its own criminal code, reluctant to preserve its archaic 
colonial rules, but unable to fully revoke the Dutch inherited law. It leaves us with a lingering baggage. Discussions then began in the 1980s to amend the existing criminal code. So the bill is originally from the colonial era,、mm-hmm. back in the early 1900s. Is that correct? Yes,、uh, the present criminal code was adopted in 1915, and、uh, it came into force in 1918. So、uh, it's 101 years, and that is why、uh, we think that it is need to be、uh, modernized and democratized and、uh, nationalized. But this bill has been. Uh, deliberated or been been attempted to be deliberated since independence. Is that correct? Or how many years?、Uh, it's been no, many no, presidents. Well, I think the bill was initiated in about 1963, and you were not born by that time, yeah, I believe,、yeah. by the professor of criminal law because they believe that uh, uh, our uh, criminal code is a legacy of the、uh, Dutch government, and it needs to be quote unquote nationalized. I see. So、uh, that that's I think the main reason, and、uh, recently it、uh, become to a、uh, net tension also that、uh, our criminal law in Indonesia is so varied.、Um, so we have every time there is a a new issue, a new criminal law is in place. So it、uh, makes the criminal law is just like a jungle, you know, of laws without、um, specific patterns in determining the. Criminalization, the sanction, and the type of uh, uh, the magnitude of sanction that could be inflicted on persons、uh, who found guilty of that crime. No one wishes to have laws that are unnecessary. That too is what President Widodo said he wanted. Over the past sixteen years, there have been a whole host of new crimes. That were introduced to the existing code. The new criminal code bill was created to resolve on exactly that. However, critics believe that the bill is doing the exact opposite. On the limits of speech itself, at least nine offenses are listed. Article two four one: Anyone who insults the government with the intention、Article、of spreading the contents to the public. Anyone who attacks the dignity of another person. Article two four seven. Anyone who provokes someone to conduct a crime with the intention of making it known. Article four four four. Anyone who falsely accuses anyone of anyone who displays or distributes any anyone who falsely accuses anyone. One of the most interesting offenses that are listed there. Is on the defamation of the president and vice president. Article two one eight two one nine. Anyone who attacks the dignity of the president or vice president and makes such content available to the public may face up to a three and a half years in prison. The Constitutional Court revisited these rules in two thousand six and rendered it undemocratic to assume that the president's position is above the people. But though found unconstitutional, the current bill reintroduces this rule. Article two hundred eighteen and two hundred nineteen of the Criminal Code Bill is on defaming and publishing content of defamation to the president and vice president in public, whether it is in a form of speech, writings, recordings, or pictures. 
I would say that uh, it is very different. First, the um, well, you know that uh, this article was uh, um, called in. How do you say the uh, constitutional court said that this is no longer has uh, any legal binding power because it puts the president uh, very uh, highly. So it doesn't reflect the equality of the law. 2006 that happened. So they, it was tried to be included in the criminal code, but the, it was challenged in the constitutional court. It was already. It was yeah, already, so okay. At present, uh, well, it's still in the law, even though it is no longer has the legal binding authority over uh, this kind of, uh, we call it libel or slander. But uh, what we did with the uh, article was first, um, uh, we put this as uh, in Indonesia, you uh, have differences between crimes which has to be reported by the uh, victim itself, himself or herself, and also by the uh, uh, community at large. So whoever uh, has known that there is a slander or libel against the president could always, uh, or the police could act simultaneously, spontaneously in order to process this um, uh, crime. But now it has to be reported by the president himself. And so the difference between that, uh, between insulting the president and insulting common people is that the uh, president could ask uh, his um, lawyer or whoever was uh, given the power attorney to report it to the police. That's the main that's the only difference with the common people. So I don't see if, why should they, there's uh, this halubalu, you know, that our democracy is being uh, reduced, you know, because I don't see that. Indeed, that is the only difference on paper. But do we measure the fairness of a law from how little difference it has with the previous law? Saudara Presiden Joko Widodo kecewa dengan banyaknya berita bohong dan fitnah yang kerap dituduhkan pada dirinya. Presiden bakal mencari siapa yang kerap menyebar isu bohong. Sejak wali kota jadi presiden, itu yang namanya diejek, namanya dicemokoh, namanya dicaci, dihina, sudah makanan sehari-hari. Biasa, dan sebetulnya seperti itu, kalau saya mau, bisa saja itu dipidanakan. Bisa dipidanakan. Are there any opportunities where this could be misused by the president? There's always. Yeah, depends on the president. But uh, I think we make it very clear in the second article, and the second paragraph and in the elucidation that it doesn't cover um, criticism, that if you do that uh, based on the, the interest of the public or for your defense, you know, it could not be criminalized. If rectifying the colonial rules is what we want to avoid, shouldn't we be worried if there's little difference between the new and the previous law? Shouldn't we ask whether the concept of libel, slander, and attack the dignity of president is inherently too broad to create any sense of fairness and consistency, or whether the president should receive preferred procedural treatment from the law? 
The decision in the Constitutional Court revoked articles on the defamation of the President and Vice President in 2006. It is a worthy read, but the dissenting opinions are even more interesting. Justice E. Dewa Gede Palguna and Sudarsono, in their dissenting opinions, think that the problem is not the unconstitutionality of the rule itself, it is the inability of the judges to distinguish between an insult and critique. So just because the court was not able to tell which is an insult and which is a critique, it doesn't mean that the rule is unconstitutional. We think they are right. The rule's vague understanding of what makes a critique and an insult is exactly the problem with them. And we also have uh, the second uh, paragraph of that article says that if you do this based on the interests of the people, and this is also to uh, defend yourself, you know, uh, you cannot be brought to the court. And we also say that if it's a critic, it's okay. What's the difference between a critic and an insult? If I say that, well, your work is rubbish, that's critic. But if I say that you look like one of the animals in the zoo, then I think that's an insult because it has nothing to do with how you work. Mm-hmm. But this is your, your the, the I think this is a, um, how can I say, clear difference between the critic and uh, insult. But it isn't there, Boo, isn't there sort of, isn't it not always that clear uh, um, between, say, an insult and, and criticism? I mean, isn't it open to a little bit of interpretation? It could. But if I give examples and we also give the, um, elucidation in our uh, bill, you know, that critics are not to be criminalized. We very clearly said that in our uh, elucidation. So the Amnesty International doesn't have to be worried about the, our democracies being jeopardized. That's what I think. So a reintroduction of these rules should bear in mind the test for critique and the test for an insult. What makes a critique and what makes an insult? What if my critique is taken as an insult? The glimpse of the bill states that any attack on the dignity means that any attack of the person's morality, religion, values, and their basic human rights. But will this be enough? A 2006 case proved how the notion of defamation or insult is really prone to misapplication. One man's suspicion of corrupt practice involving individuals in the presidential palace was viewed as an insult to the president by virtue of the current criminal code. The man was later sentenced to three months in jail by the Jakarta District Court. The Constitutional Court then revoked the rules on defamation against the president and vice president. Or ever heard the case of Mr. Waisul Kurnia early this year? An ordinary fisherman who was detained by the police after stating his disappointment on the lack of transparency with a reclamation project on Jakarta's shoreline during a random interview on CNN Indonesia. 
The company involved in the construction filed a police complaint against Weissel, stating that he violated the Electronic Information and Transaction Law by disseminating hate speech and defamation. He was forced to apologize and was later released. Or Ibu Prita, an Indonesian housewife who in 2008 was jailed and fined for more than 20,000 US dollars about a hospital misdiagnosis in a private email. The hospital filed a lawsuit and she was charged under the ITE law for spreading slanderous accusations. She received wide public support after news of her case went viral. The hospital later dropped charges and the conviction was later overturned in 2012 by the Supreme Court. So in practice, it does not seem to be as clear-cut as we'd like it to be. Exemptions of the articles are available, of course, for self-defense and the interest of public. But again, what does it mean, really? Does this mean that the press will not be affected by this article? In a justice system that relies heavily on the reading of the articles by the judges, with little to no reference of past similar cases, the weight of the constitutional court's decision is instrumental. Reintroducing it will cause many uncertainties, especially without a clear test of what makes a critique and what makes an insult or defamation. You know, for example, um, if I was insulted, I would also go to the police, you know, and report this kind of uh, crime then the police could proceed with the crime. But if the president choose not to report to the police, then there is no uh, criminal justice process. And uh, I think this is uh, very different from the article that was invoked by the constitutional court. That's what we think. Because, And I'll, I personally think that uh, uh, the president is not a common uh, a person because he is elected by... 100 million Indonesians. So somehow he must have some certain um, uh, specific uh, status compared to us. And so the difference between that, uh, between insulting the president and insulting common people is that the uh, president could ask his um, lawyer or whoever was uh, given the power attorney to report it to the police. That's the only difference with the common people. If that's the case, wouldn't the president be covered under the current bills if he's bringing the the case? There is no bill. Uh, there is no article at present because it's been invoked by the constitutional is, court. But is it? Are there a defamation? There's a defamation law now. Yeah. Uh, well, it's defamation article. Uh, de a defamation article yeah. in the law now. Mm -hmm. um, would that also cover the president? Well, you can. But uh, with uh, the present article, the president himself has to go to the police station to report that, you know, I've been uh, insulted or defamed or slandered, whatever. So that's the only difference. So <laughs> I don't see why it becomes such a big uh, problem for the community. Yeah, you mentioned that um, it was initially revoked in 2006 in the Constitutional Court. Um, now it's being uh, introduced again. Is there a difference between culture that you see now and then that would make it more relevant for this law to be passed now in the current generation? Well, um, probably because I'm very Indonesian. We have culture that we are not taught others. We have to uh, be respectful to others. And uh, it, 
I think it covers also that you should not insult or defame anybody. So uh, defaming another person, defaming a president, you know, it's the same thing. Are we dictated by our culture? Or do we decide what reflects our culture and identity should be? But then who decides that? Who has the authority to control what we should or should it be? The government? The lawmakers? Ourselves? Many other countries have come across this question too. In their instances, it was the court that decides which value reflects the culture and identity of the country. Ultimately, all the rules that justifies limitations of speech, expressions, and assembly, as well as the vision of what democracy is, are constructed around it. In 1998, for example, the Turkish Constitutional Court banned the Refah Party, or the Welfare Party, from participating in Turkish politics because they violated the secular value of Turkish constitution, too motivated by religious agenda. Or in the US, when the Supreme Court in 1951 held that Eugene Dennis does not possess the right to exercise free speech, publication, and assembly if the exercise involved the creation of a plot to overthrow the government. At that time, he was a leader of the Communist Party of the United States of America. The test that was used by the court was that his speech and his organizing the party had enough weight of evil that may likely cause danger, and so limiting that speech is necessary to avoid that danger. It's also called the clear and present danger test. This is not to say that Indonesia's constitutional court must be right, but constantly revisiting what our values are and having consistent tests to determine that are necessary. Just like several cases following Dennis first at the United States, in the US, reapply the test and modify the test to justify limitations to free speech, changing from the clear to present danger to imminent lawless action that excludes mere advocacy or planning as a violation. But um, since it was revoked initially, that means the culture back then didn't view this as a their, I wouldn't you know. say that. I would say that it is the opinion of the constitutional court judges. It is not the view of uh, 265 million Indonesians. Mm-hmm. So the constitutional court um, chose to believe that this was not the collective yeah. decision. Yeah, they of have. The yeah, they have their own thinking. If it were to be passed now, would uh, when it would be brought to the constitutional court, would there be the same results or? it would be different. Like, how would it be different think so. in this case? I don't think so. Because at that time, even though the uh, defamation against the president uh, was revoked, but defamation against government officials was not revoked. Defamation against the uh, head of the uh, friendly state was not revoked. All defamation articles uh, was not revoked. And uh, if I remember correctly, the court also says that, you know, uh, stipulation with regard to defamation of the president should also follow the defamation articles uh, with regard to, to the lay people. So that's what we did. But who has the right to speak on behalf of the 260 million minds of Indonesians? If the constitutional court's decision is less meaningful or even negligible 
because it is not speaking on behalf of the people, does that mean that all the past laws that are rendered unconstitutional still prevails? What about when the court decided that the current minimum age of marriage, which is 19 for men and 16 for women, is too young for the women, and then asked the DPR to increase it to 19 years old as well? What about when the court decided that the DPR, the parliament, should no longer have the power to forcefully summon individuals by the help of the national police? Despite the recent news headlines uh, stating that Indonesia's new controversial criminal code bill uh, will not be passed by the end of this parliamentary session, which closes on the 30th of September, the bill is far from being dead and may be carried over and passed in the upcoming 2019 to 2024 uh, session, which is set to begin next week, October 1st. This, of course, is allowed by a new mechanism which allows bills to be carried over uh, included in the new law governing the formulation of legislation, uh, which was passed in the House uh, plenary session on September 24th. Under the new law, uh, both the legislative and executive branch must agree to revive uh, a bill, and the bill must be at least 50% uh, complete in order for it to be carried into the next uh, House session. The carried over bill then can easily be included in the all important national legislation program or prolegnas, uh, and then it could be deliberated and passed. Um, the session, the House session only has a few days left. What will happen, do you think, with this bill? I know the Minister of Law and um, Human Rights is saying he hopes to keep it unchanged and have it deliberated again in the next House session in Parliament. What are your what do you what have you been hearing and what are your thoughts? Well, um, I think the president has said that he would like to have inputs from groups of society, you know, and uh, I have no idea how it would happen. And uh, the mechanism, you know, I don't know that. But uh, yes, I think that uh, the team is also open to any suggestion. Yeah, but what will happen with the parliament, I have no idea. You know, it is unpredictable because there will be new people, right? New people in the uh, in the commission commission three, new people in the uh, plenary. You know, so they might have something new to present to the. I don't know. And and if I may ask, what was the reaction to uh, your team and others that you work with on working on this bill when you heard that it would would not be passed in this session and maybe delayed? Well, um, disappointment. Oh, our work of so many years has come to no avail. And secondly, there's, oh, you know, we know that there's uh, still some um, on the elucidation that we need to work on. So you, know, you we have time to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, since there is this new um, law that basically tells that it will be carried over, would your team still be involved in the next uh, DPR? I have no idea. <laughs> it's... It's, it's not up to us, yeah. It's up to the ministry, to the president, to the whoever. So once once it's left the DPR session now, it's completely out of your hands, basically. Some groups are relieved because, hey, 
At least now the criminal code bill is delayed. But this bill is far from dead and may be carried over in the new 2019-2020 session at the DPR, which started just days after the delay was announced in late September. Such a carryover is possible due to a new formulation of rules and regulations law that just passed on September 24th. The carried over bill can then be easily included in the new parliament's all-important national legislation program or the Prolegnos and be passed quickly with little deliberation if both President Widodo and the parliament agreed to make such a move. Thank you for listening. I'm Danita. Thank you to Professor Hakristuti Hakrisnowo for sharing her insights. Our executive producer is Sean Corrigan. Our producer is Tanita. Editor is Veronica. And researcher is Risky. Email us any feedback or criticism to our email info at indonesiaindepth.com and follow us on Twitter at IndoIndepth for updates. Thank you for listening. <laughs>